The Holding Court Podcast is powered by Fundraising University Ohio. Fundraising University Ohio offers a variety of fundraising efforts that help basketball teams run profitable, effective, and fast-paced fundraisers designed to raise the most money in the shortest amount of time to reach their fundraising goals. Fundraising University Ohio is locally owned and operated, and with their six-step blitz system, will help your team maximize profits. As a former basketball coach himself, Brent Maxwell will sit down and help you pick, plan, strategize, and execute your fundraiser, which will allow you as a coach to devote more time to the other aspects of your program. If you're looking to take your fundraising efforts to the next level, contact Brent Maxwell at bmaxwell at fundraisingu.net or 740-501-8946 to learn more. Welcome to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Join hosts Adam Hall and Walt Serrato as they sit down with some of the biggest names in Ohio high school basketball and beyond. This show and all of our shows are available to listen to completely free anywhere that you can find podcasts. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get to it. Hello, it's Adam Hall here with my co-host Walt Serrato. And we are excited to be joined by Tom McBride, head boys basketball coach at Lake High School in Uniontown, Ohio. Coach, thank you for joining us and welcome to the Holding Court Podcast. It's my pleasure, Adam and Walt. Appreciate it. So coach, when this podcast is released, it'll be mid-June and summer basketball will be in full swing for many boys and girls basketball programs throughout the state of Ohio. When you sit down each spring and plan your summer basketball schedule, what are you hoping to accomplish with your team? And in your 24 years as a head coach, what types of things have you done with your teams over the years during that month of June that have proven to be the most beneficial? Yeah, the first thing we do is look at all levels of the program. Uh, When we're going to run our youth camp, uh, one of the best things I've done is run a middle school league uh, just for our own kids, 6th, 7th, and 8th together in the month of July. Uh, we get them together for five dates in the morning. And then when I start to assess the varsity, looking at the multi-sport athletes and the freshman JV varsity uh, level that we have, we keep it pretty basic at freshman JV with just a summer league for both of them. We don't get them into a lot of shootouts because they're busy with a lot of other things. And then when we look at our varsity, uh, we try to do a mixture of morning and evening uh, for some of those young men are, are playing baseball at Lake. We, we don't want them to miss out on their opportunity to get better at uh, all the activities, all, all the uh, educational opportunities they have through sports to play. So coach, quick follow-up to that. I can remember us having a conversation one summer in which you stated that at the end of June, you essentially shut it down until after Labor Day. Talk to us about that philosophy and how it has served your program over the years, because you know, for many programs, they're still going strong through July, and, and they will work right up to that dead period start date of August 1st. Yes, we've never done that. I, I think with the 10 or whatever, 13 days we have now that we can accomplish what we need to with our young men in the month of June. In saying that, we do open the gym a couple mornings uh, in July, and it's mostly put the gun shooting machines up and let our guys come in and turn some music on and feel 
good about their shots or uh, one of the coaches will come in if we need to work on somebody. That's more of a personal one-on-one small group, if anything, for us. Uh, we're not really doing any team functions or playing live or open gym during that time period. I, I really do think kids still need to swim, see their friends, camp, whatever else is uh, in, in their in their arsenal there that they like to do in the summer, it's time to get away a little bit. And, and, and it's, it helps us to get away. I mean, it's, it's an easy sport to get burned out in. And, you know, I started 31 years this last season with my sixth at Central Catholic. And uh, I really like what we've done there in July and August and giving the kids off. So coach, talk to us about the, the new rule in which you are now al- allowed to use 13 coaching days starting May 15th as opposed to the 10 coaching days uh, starting June 1st. Did you take advantage of that or not? Do you like that new rule? Uh, Just give us your thoughts on that. Well, my first thought was I should have done 13 straight days in a row and I'd have a full summer to experience, but uh, just all joking aside, we tried to go some Mondays and Wednesdays and uh, throw a few things in that we wanted to accomplish this summer. The 15th was difficult for basketball, especially with the rainouts early in baseball. They were still finishing up some season games. Uh, Baseball tournaments were rolling. So I don't know if it was really effective for us or not. Um, I had four scheduled. I think we only used two of them. So we're still pretty much in that June mindset. And honestly, it came to us probably so fast that I'm not sure any of us were ready to figure out how we wanted to handle uh, that earlier start date of the offseason. So coach, let's go back. Uh, you're a 1986 graduate of Canton Central Catholic High School, which you're a three-sport athlete. So you were at it year-round, football, basketball, baseball. You earned 10 varsity athletic letters while you're in high school, and you were named the John McVeigh Award winner your senior year, which recognizes the most outstanding athlete in the senior class. So the idea of a multi-sport athlete is kind of becoming a thing of the past as more and more kids are specializing in a specific sport. Talk to us about the value of, of having kids playing multiple sports and how your experiences at both Canton Central Catholic and Walsh University shaped your viewpoint. Well, and, and I appreciate that. Those were great times where I, I still have many friends that I talk to today that were on those various teams. So it kind of goes back to relationships for me. That's what sports is. Whether you're in a coaching association, whether you're coaching your players, I think it comes back to you in relationships uh, tenfold. Uh, If you try to do things the right way, I was fortunate with those 10 letters. Um, I took advantage of opportunities in both baseball and football. There were injuries ahead of me in the positions that I played and the coaches were at least um, saw enough in me that they thought I could do it as a youngster. And, you know, that was freshman in baseball for me and in sophomore years, a quarterback in football. Um, and, and then, you know, basketball just kind of came right along with it. So yeah, I mean, it was just great life experiences. I I found a way to manage it, uh, playing baseball at night with Legion ball. Back then we went to the CYC in the morning and you could only have two guys on the same team play. So it, it was, it was quite easy to manage compared to today, I think. And in football workouts always started in July and we were ready to go on with it. So, uh, it's something I would never look back and change. I really don't think I would have been in any better athlete in any one sport if I would have just focused on it. So coach, you go from Canton Central Catholic to Walsh University, where you're recruited by Tim Mead to play baseball. A little known fact is that Coach Mead was also the soccer coach at that time, 
And he was in need of a goalie and decided that you were just the guy to fill that spot. So for two years, you also served as the goalkeeper for the men's soccer team. But I want to talk a little bit about Coach Mead. Coach Mead recently recorded his 900th career victory as a baseball coach and is Walsh's all-time winningest coach in any sport. Talk about playing for Coach Mead and how he helped shape some of your early coaching philosophies. Yes, Coach Mead was quite young uh, when I was actually playing for him. And so, uh, you know, it was almost like playing for a, a player coach, probably the only guy I've ever played with that, uh, you know, coach was probably 25, 26 years old when we were at Walsh. And, and going back to the soccer, it just shows we'll do anything for a few more dollars off college. But uh, no, I had a great career there for two years. I played under a kid by the name of Richard Mapp, whose dad was an executive at a Hoover company. Richard was straight from England and really knew how to play goalkeeper. It's probably one of the things that uh, knowledge-wise, going from zero to 100 and trying to figure out what to do and pick that up in a year um, was really probably one of my best accomplishments because I knew absolutely nothing about soccer. But going back to Tim Mead, you know, Tim was the guy that, hey, I'm going to go run at uh, eight o'clock in the morning at the park. And a couple of us would go run with him uh, after a, a practice. Hey, I brought my golf clubs. You want to go up to Edgewood and play golf? Like he just really enjoyed uh, his players. He, he enjoyed the passion and energy that they gave. And he fed off that and, and he helped to foster that by getting involved in our other activities that we like to do. So I, I think just the interest in the whole person was the most impressive thing with Tim Mead. And I still think he coaches that way today. Uh, 900 wins is remarkable. Yeah. So coach, in, in listening to podcasts and reading books, oftentimes you read or hear about how coaches of one sport love to study coaches from a different sport. I'm curious, is there any particular sport or coach that you like to study in hopes of using that knowledge and information to benefit your basketball program at Lake? You know, I think at the time I was really a Jim Trestle guy. I really looked at a lot of the things Jim did. Uh, one thing I took from that was, you know, trying to write special notes. Uh, he did it every morning. I don't get up and do it every morning. But if you can just find that time still today to put some thoughts down on paper or a little thank you card. I've got these Lake basketball cards that I have in my office. And, you know, sometimes it's just the math teacher that spent a little extra time with one of the basketball players that was struggling. Uh, sometimes it's just sending your athletic director a little note that you notice the things that he's doing, because a lot of times that job goes unrewarded. And, uh, you know, I just try to do some of those aspects that I thought Jim Trestle did that made him an overall great person and great coach when he was at Ohio State. Yeah, Coach, you said it earlier, kind of seeing a theme here of just how important relationships are and what we do in life in general, but especially being coaches, right? Um, let's talk about your early years at your alma mater, Canton Central Catholic. Uh, you spent six years coaching football, basketball, and golf for the Crusaders, and you had the opportunity to work uh, with two Hall of Fame coaches, Doug Miller and Lel Kleinfelter. Share with us a little bit about your time at Canton Central and what you were able to learn about coaching from Coach Miller and Coach Kleinfelter. Well, first of all, how intimidating to go back and actually coach with two guys that coached you uh, when you were a player, but also so, so rewarding. Uh, Doug Miller, organized. Doug Miller on top of things. Um, disciplinarian. I mean, don't be five minutes late for the bus. You're going to sit. Um, uh, he, he And everybody knew that his rules were going to be strict. But with that on the floor, Doug Miller had a unique way of keeping things very simple, of really doing a lot 
lot of repetition of maybe just two to three offensive things gave me a lot of a lot of responsibility on special situations or little sets that I might see that could help the team and especially shell drill and defensive action. So the thing at Central that people don't understand is with the one gym, uh, we were lucky to have an hour and a half a night. And on Thursdays, we went to the CYC and practice. So we had to almost rely on our players to, to make great plays within the framework of what we're doing. And Doug Miller had that knack to be able to do that. And then when I think of Lowell Kleinfelder, you know, I was a soft baby of five kid when I went to Central Catholic and he, he taught me how to be mentally tough. I mean, there was no better way uh, for me and to strengthen my mind uh, because like you said some of the athletic ability was natural and and pretty decent at the time but uh, he really taught me how to you know see a game as as 80 percent 90 percent mental and only 10 percent 20 percent of your athleticism and he really made me think the game visualize the game and I've been able to take that into a lot of my sports. So coach in the spring of 1997 Uh, You decide to accept a teaching and coaching position at Lake High School, where you served as a varsity assistant coach on Bruce Brown's staff for two years. Take some time and talk to us about having the opportunity to work alongside Coach Brown, a man that you and I both have a tremendous amount of respect for. You you know, Coach, when, when people think about Bruce Brown, a lot of them just think of Bruce Brown as the athletic director. What people don't realize is that he was a pretty damn good basketball coach and program builder as well. Yeah, I'm going to hit that program builder aspect. I mean, Bruce never left any details undone. Um, I've yet to probably work with anyone that puts things uh, to paper uh, like Bruce did, whether it was your role as a youth coach, whether it was your role as a middle school coach. I mean, it was outlined in a booklet what he expected, what he thought those roles should be. He had a, a practice it's still amazing. I have it in the office, just the drills that guys can run in practice. And it had to be 45 pages long on just different drills from, you know, dribbling, shooting, defensive, etc. And uh, just that whole organization, I still use his template for my practice plans 26, 25 years later. Um, so I've t- I'm not as organized as Bruce, but I've taken the main things I feel and been able to adjust those to fit me, but recognized how great they were in building a program. So coach, two years later, in 1999, uh, Coach Brown takes over as the athletic director at Lake High School, and you were named the head boys basketball coach. Uh, Looking back on that time and and knowing what you know now, how would you have approached or done things differently in your first few years as the head coach? And and what advice would you give to the coaches that are tuning in right now, listening, uh, that may have just accepted their first coaching job this past spring? Well, again, going back to credit uh, uh, with Bruce, you know, he never really pulled me in ever and said, why are you running this? Why aren't you doing some of the things we used to do? And I did do things that we both did. So, um, again, that was a compliment to, to what he had done there as a basketball coach. But advice is just be who you are. I, I think that's how I wanted to take the ground running. Uh, again, I go back to trying to seize an opportunity and do something with it. I took a lot of things that my father had done in coaching. Um, you know, he had coached over 35 years at different places, just really kind of took a lot of his blueprints, a lot of what we were doing with Bruce, a little bit from Doug Miller. And we were kind of, yeah, an early on mishmash of different things. And uh, that would be my advice for a young coach is really try to have 
that system in place. I think I kind of scrapbooked it together early. And whether you're a Princeton guy, whether you're a fast break guy, whether you're a zone guy, whether you're a man guy, just stick with your ideals and, and have those in order and in place on how you want that uh, to connect to your players and your community. Coach, that's great advice. I, I want to I talk about one thing, and we kind of mentioned it earlier when we talked about the multi-sport athlete, but Early on in your career at Lake, and and for the better part of your your head coaching career at Lake, your football coach uh, Jeff Durbin um, was a, a a coach that was recognized um, at the state and national level. Had a tremendous football program at Lake. Uh, tremendous coach, tremendous individual. Uh, how did you work alongside Coach Durbin, and how did you guys get both programs to work together? Because you know a lot of times these days we hear of situations in which the head basketball coach and and the head football coach they can't get on the same page and kids have to choose and it becomes a a bigger issue so talk to us about how you built that relationship with coach Durbin yeah Jeff and I still you know we remain good friends he's not in the building day in and day out but he still comes in quite a bit says hi to myself Dan to George sits down talks um you know back when Jeff was there it was a lot more basketball June and football July so we didn't cross paths as much Dan and I have to kind of be on the same uh page here now because they're doing a lot more in June uh than Jeff Durbin used to and then that's because the rules have changed Um, And so they should have that freedom to do that. But Jeff also had two boys that played basketball for me. So he understood the multi-sport athlete. Jeff himself was one heck of a basketball player and uh, also did coach some basketball early in his career as an educator. Um, So I always felt we saw eye to eye. I helped keep... uh, I helped keep the, uh, I don't want to call it what's a football score, but, uh, the, the play sheet, I guess, up in the press box uh, during his early years and my early years in coaching. So I always felt a connection to the football program and a connection to Jeff. And and, and I think Dan DeGeorge and I have continued that. So coach, let's talk about your time at Lake High School. So your first 10 years, you had a record of 115 and 102. But since then, you've been 221 and 101. In the last 13 years, You've had 11 winning seasons, winning no fewer than 14 games a season, and you've had four seasons in which you won over 20 games. Uh, no small task uh, for those in Northeast Ohio, especially um, anyone that knows the federal league. You won three league titles, three district titles. In 2014, you lost in the regional finals to Cleveland East Tech on a pull-up at the buzzer by Markel Johnson. Take us through the evolution of your program since you've been there and how you've built sustained a program that competes at the highest level night in and night out. Yeah, I I thought early in a career I had some really good players. I have a couple teams in my mind that I feel that if I would have the knowledge I have now and kind of the established program we have, we probably could have squeezed out some more wins out of those guys early. We were kind of, like I said, just picking and choosing things that we saw, things that we liked, trying to fit it with our personnel. And early on, probably a couple of those teams we underachieved with, to be honest with you. And then when we started hitting that run around 2000, 10, 11, and we started to see some of the 
fruits of our reward. I remember pulling in Chase Vodder and Mitch Spottleson, and I gave them a leadership book. And we met once a week on Tuesdays and discussed what was going on in the leadership book and how they could take that to the team. And they were the two right kids to actually take it seriously and want to be great leaders. And I thought that was the first step in that nice run we had from about 13 to 18 because players behind them got to see that leadership and how it was being built. And I really think it helped us take some teams that maybe weren't as talented, but they still fought in the right aspect due to those leadership principles that we had in place. So coach, I think consistency at at the top has also played a large part in the success of your program. I mean, you've served at Lake for the past 23 years as the head coach. And in those 23 years, there have been 25 different head basketball coaches at the other schools you face in the federal league. And when you think about the most successful programs in the federal league the past 20 years, you think of Lake with one coach. You think of Green with one coach. Jackson has had two coaches. Those other schools in your league seem to turn over coaches every four to five years. What do you attribute to that type of longevity that you have experienced at Lake? And how has it positively impacted your program? Well, first off, I've been truly blessed with assistant coaches over the years. I mean, to have the tree that came out of Lake that's been coaching in other places is a tribute to those guys. Not a whole lot of what I've done. I I was able to find basketball guys. I was able to find hungry uh, guys that wanted to coach and and learn, but yet also give me their insights and aspects. Um, You know, I always say a coach is a coach. I want them to jump in at practice. It's not a one voice system. Um, And and I want them to to instruct on what they see. And I've been fortunate to just have guys gravitate, especially varsity assistants, JV guys that just go go right in and and teach our kids on a day-to-day basis. And and I'll go back and form relationships. You know, I look at Mitch Spottleson now, who's a middle school teacher. What a nice conduit to have those middle school kids seeing him daily uh, that we hope to play for us one day. And, and I've had a lot of staff members that do teach at the school. And so on a consistent basis, they're not only seeing the kids in the gym, they're seeing them as students. Number two, the biggest factor in why we've been able to establish the program and have the longevity is is totally our administration. You know, Kevin Tobin as our superintendent and Dan Harold as our principal, you know, Rich Venuto's in there. We've got Pat Carroll as a basically an assistant superintendent. I have basketball guys that are in there that understand how hard it is, how much time it is, how much work you put in, trials and tribulations that that go in yearly you know, whether it be with players or families or parents. And so I've been truly blessed, I think, from an administrative standpoint that there's been longevity there that has supported Lake basketball. And, you know, it's going to be there long after I've been there. I'm just happy that I had a piece of that history uh, and will be happy I had a piece of that history uh, when the dust settles and it's time for me to move on. So, Coach, I was uh, I had the opportunity to to speak with a former assistant coach of yours and and a few head coaches from around the area, uh, just trying to prepare and get ready for for our podcast. And, and all of them talked about how difficult it is to prepare for a Tom McBride coach team. What makes your team so difficult to prepare for? And, and in the words of one of the coaches, 
being unpredictable against the scouting report. Well, I think I've always felt like we were the underdog. You know, it's it's Lake High School. It was never really a, a huge basketball school. And like you stated, done some things to open some eyes in Northeast Ohio. And that's it's definitely a compliment. And I appreciate that. So I think I've always just taken that underdog role. And whether it's, you know, watching some videos of some teams that I like the things they do. I'm one that's saved everything we've ever had. I, I can go back to 2009 and, hey, we played so-and-so and this is what we did. Um, you know, what can we do to counteract that? I'll give you a good example. One year, we started playing some teams that played a lot of triangle and two. Well, you know, I haven't seen triangle and two in probably six, seven years. We thought maybe it was coming when I had Cam Horning and uh, and 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 Chase, uh, I'm sorry, Chance Kassenheiser here. And so, you know, we went back in and, and we had our six or seven things in case Triangle and two ever showed up. It never did. But I went back to 2013 films and went back to what those things were that we were doing back then. So I think it's just that unpredictability of being prepared, uh, not being afraid to go back and look at something old school, not being afraid to go on YouTube and, and type in, you know, teams that have had success against switching man to man. And it's nothing for me to go in and throw three or four things in in a practice segment and believe that our kids can run them. One thing I have learned over the years, though, never put something new in the night before a game. So if we play Friday night, you better have it ready Saturday so it digests and then you can run back through it on Monday for Tuesday. But when you put something in the night before a game, kids just don't have that mentality to digest it. So we try to really be on a a step or two or a game or two ahead on what we want to do with that with that next opponent. So coach, let's take a few minutes to talk about special situations. Uh, take us through how you go about incorporating those types of situations into your daily practice plans. Because in talking to you off air, you mentioned how many games your teams have been able to win over the years because of their execution in those types of situations. I always take the whiteboard out to practice. I always have a couple markers in my pocket in the whiteboard and we'll stop at various times and put six seconds on the clock and see if something that I have right there uh, can work for us in a six second time period, eight second time period. You know, I try to get a lot of things side out. I think they're the easiest ways to actually pretty much run it like a play from a side out situation. So if time exists, we try to at least get the ball to half court in those situations with uh, 12 seconds or left to try to figure out what it is we really want to run. And there's times that we uh, kind of investigate, let the kids grab the whiteboard and say, hey, what do you think you could draw up here? And just kind of gives them a sense of ownership in putting something in, uh, maybe in a last second situation, kind of shows me how much basketball they've watched also uh, in case they say, hey, you know, let's run the Christian Leitner play or whatever, at least I know they have some knowledge that's there. But I'd say the daily bringing the whiteboard out on the floor, um, stop and practice for a second or a segment, say, okay, we're going to run this side out, etc. And then there's been times in games where I see how people are playing us. They're going to lock up two guys in a special situation. So we might, you know, ball screen and then lock up the corner with the other guy that's locked up and really just try to get down the lane. So some of the special situations are just how's the flow of the game going and what do we see at that point to hopefully make something happen. So there's been many times we've just drawn something up cold turkey on the sideline. But by having that board on a day-to-day basis, I think our kids get used to reading it and they can execute those things. Yeah, coach, I love that because obviously there's nothing we can ever do in practice that can simulate you know, high intensity games on the line last few seconds. But at least mentally, if they've been there before, hopefully they uh, have a better chance of performing at that high level when you need them to. Correct. Love that. 
So let's change gears here a little bit. Uh, a recent rule change just came out that I'm sure a lot of coaches are trying to wrap their heads around. We're going to be tackling this this coming winter. Um, give us your thoughts on that. The, the teams will shoot two free throws for common fouls in the bonus. Teams will now reach the bonus when their opponent commits five fouls in each quarter and team fouls will reset at the end of each quarter, uh, kind of like what the NBA does. Do you like that change? And and if so, I mean, how, how do you see it having an impact on your team? Well, I think I'd much rather have seen seven fouls stay and give us halves instead of quarters. I think it would make us play more guys. Um, I think it would make us figure out how we're going to get our rotations and how we're going to rest certain players at certain points of the game. And then it just seems more feasible, let's say, that we had a 16-minute half after seven fouls, you go and shoot two. I think you're going to have to scheme defensively a little bit different. You know, in our league, it's most likely going to be nobody shoots two free throws in the first half. And then the second half, we'll have to be a little more aware of that. Uh, it seems to be pretty physical in the Federal League early on in games. And then things tighten up a little bit in the second half. But uh, my early prediction on this is you're going to start to see teams now play more zone, especially in the second half, because you're not going to foul as much in a zone and it should keep you out of that two shot situation. So Coach McBride, basketball has been a family affair for you throughout the years. Your dad was a coach, your brother Tim was a coach, your nephew Kyle still is coaching. Uh, You've had the opportunity to coach your two sons, Jake and Joe, while at Lake. And most importantly, your wife of 31 years, Melissa, has been by your side since the beginning and has ridden that coaching roller coaster with you. How special is it for you that you have had the opportunity to share your experiences with the game of basketball with your family? Yes, I, um, you know, I, I have a saint in Melissa for sure. And she's really my number one assistant coach. Um, she has great insight. She played herself at Lordstown High School. I met her at Walsh University, Walsh College. She, she didn't play at Walsh, but she has a tremendous knowledge of the game and, you know, sees a different aspect of it from the stands than I do sometimes, which is really nice. So it's nice to have a wife that likes to go to the games, that likes to go out after and talk about a little bit, that can honestly hold a conversation about the game and things that she saw out there with certain players, etc. And then to take that on with my two boys, you know, probably the toughest experience any coach can have is coaching their own kids. But it was also the most rewarding experience uh, that I ever had. And and both boys were so different. You know, Jake was more of a role player and, and Joey came along during that time period where he saw guys like Mitch and, and, and Chase and wanted to be a leader for, for our team his senior year and, and played a little bit as a sophomore and, and played as a junior. So, you know, he was that guy that wasn't real warm kid to his dad when he was little, probably because I wasn't home much. But that experience probably brought us tighter uh, as son and, and father than, than anything else. And especially being able to go to the regionals with both boys is something really special. I'm always going to remember. But uh, yeah, talking to my brother, talking to my my nephew, you know, Kyle quite a bit about different aspects of the game. It's invaluable. You know, it's summer picnic talk time or if we're at the pool. And uh, boy, I'll tell you, I really miss my dad. I mean, he was the guy that after every game the next morning, it was the phone call and his input and his insight. Nothing for him to come up to a practice and take a guy on the side and work on his shot a little bit. But 
yeah, that's been a big void as far as uh, my coaching career has gone, just not having them there on a day-to-day basis. It's been six years, and uh, he sure was a tremendous basketball coach that uh, I'm fortunate to have the opportunity that he never did, and that was to be at one place for a long time. Well, Tom, we'd like to transition to a segment that we call Triple Threat. We're going to give you three topics and let you share your thoughts, ideas, maybe experiences, or suggestions with our listeners. Are you ready? Yes, I can handle it. All right. So our first topic, let's talk about Chandler Vaudrin. He was a graduate of Lake High School in Winthrop University. He's currently a professional player uh, playing the G League for the Cleveland Charge. What made him special? Best high school passer I've ever seen, whether he played for me or uh, any other player that I've seen. His vision on the court was absolutely tremendous. I feel like I've got a pretty good eye at what the next play is going to be when I watch us in practice and in games. Chandler was two steps ahead of me. He was an absolute fantastic passer of the basketball. Number two, underrated defender. He could defend uh, anywhere from one to five. You know, we could put him on Kyle Young if we had to, and we could turn around and put him on uh, the other team's best guard if we had to. One through five, he could defend. He listened. I had a great, strong lower body, and uh, he's taken opportunities in his life and chances, and I'm so proud of him to be at the level that he is at. So, Coach, number two. Uh, is your thoughts on building a strong middle school basketball program. You know, everybody talks about, hey, how do you build a strong youth program? Talk to us about how you've built a strong middle school program at Lake. It's tough because being one of the smaller schools in the Federal League, the Federal League ever since I've been there has adopted two teams at each grade, right? So there's two seventh grade and two eighth grade. And we have refused all at the times I've, uh, for all the time I've been at Lake to make an A and make a B team. I really challenge our coaches to draft fairly, obviously keep family members together. So if you're on the seventh blue and you have a brother that's eighth blue, keep those together so mom and dad can see the same game, but really try to challenge our middle school coaches in motivating our young men that success and championships most likely aren't going to come at our middle school level just due to the nature of the size of our school and splitting our talent equally. But it is rewarding to see when those young men come to ninth grade. Uh, We've won a couple ninth grade championships, and we've had some young men have moved up and played JV ball. Um, So I just like staying the course. Let's split them equal. Let's make sure we have 11 on each team so that when you're practicing, there's one guy out and he has no one distracting him. And, uh, and we just try to build small segments of what we're doing at the varsity. We may just add one segment, a chin, one aspect of our one, two, two. Uh, but yes, I make those guys play man to man at least through Christmas. And then possibly if we see some success in a, in a zone aspect, a late in the year in a tournament, maybe we've got to play somebody that's kind of hurt us with some quickness and jumping ability at the middle school level. We'll, we'll let them pull some uh, tricks there towards the end to give the kids an opportunity. But we're going to stay pretty much the course on uh, what we want to get done man to man wise. Wish I could get them to do a little more full court stuff. I'd really like us to get up the floor a little more in a middle school But again, you're practicing two teams at once in one gym. It's hard for them to get that full court aspect. 
Coach, your approach to having difficult conversations. Well, I think it's truth, right? I think it's it's pulling people in and, and sitting them down and doing it face-to-face. Um, difficult conversations shouldn't be on the phone. Difficult conversations shouldn't be uh, through text messages. Um, um, and, and it's tough sometimes. Sometimes it's tough to get people to meet you face-to-face. But, you know, we, we, we do just try to get people to follow the pecking order, right? If it's your son that's having an issue have your son come talk to us and we're going to give him a truthful answer. If you're not happy with that, then of course we'll meet with mom and dad and son and see if we can come up with some kind of solution. But the the tough part is sometimes you have to leave some meetings uh, agreeing to disagree. And um, it takes some maturity. It takes some professionalism. And I think it's something I've learned over time. Uh, there have been some uncomfortable meetings. There's been some uncomfortable times. Nothing's as smooth as can be when you've been at a place 24, 25 years. So um, the, the one thing that's only worked for us, I think, is a handshake and looking somebody in the eye and, and being truthful with those conversations. But yeah, that's that's always a tough part of the business for sure. Well, Coach, we have one more question for you. But before we get to that, Thank you for coming on the show tonight and spending some time with us on the Holding Court Podcast. It has been my pleasure. Walt, Adam, what you're doing for Ohio basketball, uh, I think is tremendous. And I'm honored uh, to actually be probably within the first 100 people that you've uh, actually put on a podcast. So uh, uh, it really means a lot and it means a lot to our program. And and I hope it means a lot to the coaches in the state, uh, what you guys are trying to do here to uh, influence basketball in the state of Ohio. Well, thank you, Coach. We we appreciate that, and and having known you for quite some time, have a tremendous amount of respect for you and and your program and what you've done at Lake. And you know, Coach, our last question basically is: tell us about the best investment you have made in your career as a coach. Again, I, I think it's the relationship piece. I hate to circle back to it, but great assistant coaches a great family behind me, the alumni that come back and play in open gyms for us, the, uh, you know, the, the times that you're on somebody's application because they respected you coaching for, I mean, it's just, it's the people person in me that I love the relationships and I love putting my arm around someone. And I love telling somebody that they need to step it up a little bit and have a little bit of discipline with them. But the investment for me has been the people and the people that I've been surrounded with for this to have success from the start with Brian D. Lab to Frank Spottleson, to Aaron Hinkle, to Mitch Spottleson as my top varsity assistant guys over this whole career stretch run has just been tremendous. And the things I've taken from them has truly been the greatest investment in the program. Thanks for listening to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with us on Twitter and Facebook at OhioBKCoaches, on Instagram at OHSBCA1947, and online at www.oh.nhsbca.org. Until next time.